Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. An international panel finds that police violence and murders of African Americans amount to crimes against humanity. The findings and recommendations of our international commission of inquiry into systemic racist police violence against people of African descent filed our report with the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights. And for family members of those slain, the conviction of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd is just the tip of the iceberg of accountability. When police departments are still insisting that policemen, when caught on camera using unnecessary deadly force, are merely just a few bad apples, we are way past a few bad apples. We are into orchards of bad apples with trees that have disease roots, roots tainted with racism and white supremacy, and they are bearing rotten fruit. All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. And our focus for this show remains on the crisis in policing. We'll hear findings of an investigation by an international panel which recommends that police killings and torture of black people in the U.S. be investigated as crimes against humanity by the International Criminal Court. Lennox Hines, Professor Emeritus of Law at Rutgers University, is coordinator of the International Commission of Inquiry, on systemic racist police violence against people of African descent in the United States. All of these killings were malicious and intentional of unarmed black men, black women, and trans and gender non-conforming black people across the United States. The victims were shot. They were tortured with tasers inflicting 50,000 volts of electricity into the bodies of people suffering from mental illness. Some of the witnesses were suffocated. Some were choked to death. Others were killed when the police used their very vehicles as weapons, lethal weapons. In all cases, the victims were unarmed. We'll spend this hour hearing voices of family members of those slain by the police, as well as details from the commission's report presented at a press conference this week. During the same week, there is more news about black men, Latinx men killed by police. Video was released of Chicago police shooting and killing 22-year-old Anthony Alvarez as he ran away from them on March 31st, two days after Chicago police shot and killed 13-year-old Adam Toledo. In Elizabeth City, North Carolina, the family of Andrew Brown was allowed to see only 20 seconds of body cam footage on April 26th, five days after Brown was killed by police. The next day, the family released results of an independent autopsy, which revealed that Brown was shot on his side and in the back of the head. A judge ordered that Brown's family be allowed to view remaining footage in the next 10 days, but said the footage would not be made available to the public for at least 30 days. 
The county sheriff's department identified the three officers who actually discharged their weapons that day as investigator Daniel Meads, Deputy Sheriff Robert Morgan, and Corporal Aaron Llewellyn. Protests are continuing in Elizabeth City for the full video to be released. This is Harry Daniels, an attorney for the Brown family. Let's not get distracted. An innocent man was gunned down, shot in the back of the head. Vehicle riddled with bullets from the rear. Now I heard statements being made. Well, he he might have hit the hit the deputies, or he might have did that. Well, show us the video. Show us the video. Show us the tape. Meanwhile, as the issue of transparency about Brown's death remains paramount in North Carolina, recently released body camera footage shows Alameda, California police killing Mario Gonzalez, a 26-year-old Latino man with officers kneeling on his back and shoulder until he lost consciousness, contradicting a previous account of the incident from police. Officers had alleged that Gonzalez, who was from Oakland, died the morning of April 19th after suffering a quote-unquote medical emergency, which is similar to how Minneapolis police first described the death of George Floyd. Here in the D.C. area, there are continued repercussions for the testimony of Maryland's former chief medical examiner, Dr. David Fowler, in Chauvin's defense. Maryland's Attorney General will be launching an investigation of all deaths in police custody that were overseen by Fowler. As we have mentioned, one such case is the death of Anton Black, a college student who died after police laid him prone on his stomach and put their body weight on him for several minutes, even after he was handcuffed. A report signed by Fowler ruled Black's death as accidental, but Black's family is suing officials, including Fowler, in his death. A new law... Anton's law was just passed in Maryland, which will make public criminal investigations and misconduct records of a police officer. Latoya Francis Williams, a Baltimore area attorney, told on the ground that other cases, including the 2013 death of Tyrone West, might be eligible for review. So my office is underway in bringing cases such as Tyrone West's case which is one of the examples to the attention of the Attorney General's office. Obviously, as you know, Mr. Wanda Jones has been on a mission for brother's murder to have the officers that sat on Mr. West's back until he turned gray and died brought to justice, meaning the criminal justice system. Every state's attorney has refused to prosecute, falling back on Dr. Fowler's conclusion that Mr. West simply died because it was hot outside. And in other important developments this week, federal prosecutors indicted three white men in Georgia for hate crimes and attempted kidnapping in connection with last year's death of Ahmaud Arbery, who was chased down by the men and shot to death while out jogging near Brunswick in Glynn County, Georgia. And the Department of Justice announced that it will investigate whether police departments in Minneapolis and Louisville engage in a pattern or practice of using unreasonable force including with respect to people involved in peaceful, expressive activities. CNN also reported Thursday that the DOJ will bring federal civil rights charges against Derek Chauvin and the three other officers involved in George Floyd's death. And finally, in culture and media, Lydia Curtis attended a celebration for a journalist and one of the world's most famous political prisoners. Activists in Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia rallied on April 24th to celebrate the 67th birthday of black activist Mumia Abu-Jamal, 
a journalist who wrote about police brutality, racism, and the mass incarceration system before he was targeted, arrested, and convicted of killing a police officer in 1981. Abu Jamal, who has always maintained his innocence, has been incarcerated for 40 years. Rebecca Bonham, from D.C.'s Pan-African Community Action, made this call to action. Congestive heart failure, right, affects his, his heart. And then COVID-19, which affects a lot of your heart, your liver, a lot of your vital organs. And so now he just came out of surgery a couple of days ago. So we want to clap out to that. And he was able to talk to his wife and his supporters like Pam Africa and probably a whole bunch of other people. There's many ways that you can support him. It's to uh, get connected on social media if you're not connected, right? On Instagram, you can uh, follow at Bring Mamiya Home. And that's also on Twitter and Facebook. And then on Facebook, it's at Mumia Abu Jamal. For On the Ground, this is Lydia Curtis. Lydia Curtis also reports this week about the fight for affordable housing in Washington, D.C., and that report will be posted on our website, which is onthegroundshow.org. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. Greetings, my name is Carrie McLean, and I'm a member of the steering committee that organized the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States. So in way of background, I'll tell you a bit about how this commission came to be. In June 2020, an international coalition of hundreds of organizations and individuals sent a communication to the United Nations Human Rights Council urging that the UN convene a commission of inquiry to investigate racism and racist police violence in the United States. In an unprecedented move, the UN's African group, which comprises 54 countries from the African continent, supported the efforts of the activists and issues its own call for a commission of inquiry in a draft resolution. The US pushed back against the efforts and the Human Rights Council declined the request. Following the UN's decision to not convene a commission of inquiry, the National Conference of Black Lawyers, the National Lawyers Guild, and the International Association of Democratic Lawyers decided to convene a commission of inquiry to conduct the thorough and impartial investigation of police violence in the United States that the community had demanded. The commission of inquiry's mandate was to investigate the systemic, widespread, and grave violations of the rights of Black people by police in the United States and present its findings and recommendations in a report. We assembled a team of 12 experts, commissioners, none of whom are from the United States, to conduct the investigations in an independent and impartial manner. We conducted live hearings where the commissioners heard testimony from the family members of victims of police violence, testimony from lawyers who represent the families of victims, and testimony from community activists. The commissioners also reviewed reports, legislation, and other relevant materials. 
After the hearings concluded, the commissioners made their findings and recommendations, and a team of rapporteurs compiled the information into a report. That report was released to the general public today. Today, our commissioners and one of our rapporteurs will present the findings and recommendations at this press conference. Before we move to that, we wanna lift up the voices of a few family members whose loved ones were murdered by police. These are a few of the courageous, fierce people who gave testimony for the commission of inquiry. First is Colette Flanagan, founder of Mothers Against Police Brutality. Her son, Clinton Allen, was murdered by the police. Colette? Thank you, Carrie. I started Mothers Against Police Brutality because uh, the Dallas police killed my son, my only son, Clinton Allen, in 2013. Clinton was only 25 years old. He was an unarmed Black man, shot seven times, five times in his chest, once in his upper left right arm and one close range shot in his back. MAPB works from a unique perspective, from a perspective that gives us uh, the lived experience through the lens of mothers and family members uh, who have lost their children and loved ones to police violence uh, in the United States. And when you work from this lived experience, from this lens of losing a child or a loved one to police violence, you have the opportunity to see and understand the impact and devastation that most never see. Um, MAPB upholds the many, many victims that you've never heard of because their egregious deaths did not make the national news. As horrific and egregious uh, the police killings that we are currently uh, witnessing, even after George Floyd's horrific death, it's only a minuscule of actual police killings reported from the 18,000 police departments uh, in the United States because the U.S. federal government does not track this data. In fact, there is a Derek Chauvin in every police department, and some have many Derek Chauvin's, as we know by the evidence of the continual killing of Black men and women at the hands of police, which is almost a daily occurrence. And this current U.S. police culture that trains policemen to eliminate the threat uh, it's a deadly policy that is costing more and more Black lives daily. Uh, it doesn't matter if uh, there are a hundred policies to de-escalate. When you have a culture of systemic racism deeply seated and rooted in your police department, as in the United States, those policies just do not work. Uh, when police departments are still insisting that policemen, when caught on camera using unnecessary deadly force, are merely just a few bad apples. We are way past a few bad apples. We are into orchards of bad apples with trees that have disease roots, roots tainted with racism and white supremacy, and they are bearing rotten fruit. This is why the work of the civil society-led initiative organized by the National Conference of Black Lawyers, the International Association of Democratic Lawyers, and the National Lawyers Guild is so important. And I want to thank the eminent jurist who heard testimonies from many family members of victims of police brutality, and including myself. Thank you so much, Colette. Thank you. Next is Mr. Felonis Floyd, whose brother George was murdered by the police. For the first time uh, in recent American history, 
that an officer was charged for killing an unarmed black man. And it was guilty, guilty, guilty. And, you know, people all around the world, they joined us and celebrated the victory for a moment. You know, uh, we actually thought that black lives had happened, but it took time for us to reflect. And I just think about Dante Wright and how we had to plan and attend his funeral to be support for him and his family. Basically, it's getting to me now because I'm thinking about everything that's going on, but y'all know how I feel about everything. We have to continue to fight for systemic change. Basically, I just want to thank everybody from protesters, like the International Commission of Inquiry. I'm happy that you all just gave me the opportunity to be here and speak. And I'm not just speaking for George. I'm speaking for everybody around the world because justice for George, to me, it means freedom for all. I want to talk about like different things like the violence in the United States and the commissioners uh, from all around the globe, the world, who listen to what happened to my brother and listen to who had, what happened to others all across this world and who have taken action like to condemn human rights abuse and recommend like social change. I want to thank the commissioners for recognizing my humanity as a good black man in America and for recognizing my brother George Floyd's humanity and the humanity of other families across this nation and bringing the light and acknowledging the United States government is perpetrating crimes against humanity, against black people in, in the United States. I want my brothers and sisters, I want my brothers and sisters just all around this globe to be understanding and reminded that uh, we are our brothers and sisters keepers and that we, you know, have great social responsibility that we all have to work toward each other and that our humanity bonds us beyond borders. I want to thank the commissioners from around the globe for accepting the greatness of everybody around here and accepting convening the commission and for acknowledging that the murder of my brother George Floyd is a part of a pattern that crimes against humanity being committed against Black people, against my people in America. I just want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be able to just submit a message to the world and get out because this George Floyd policing act that we're pushing here in the United States, it's blood on that bill and everybody from Ahmaud Arbery, Eric Garner, George Floyd, Sandra Bland, Philando Castile, there's so many people who didn't even have footage that are on that bill. And I want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity and this blessing to open up and speak to you all. Because every time you all drop one tear, looking at George Floyd, I drop two to three. Thank you all so much. Thank you so much, Talonis. Thank you. We really appreciate you being here. I think we have Gwen Carr. As you all know, my son, Eric Garner, was murdered almost seven years ago. 
on the streets in New York, he said, I can't breathe 11 times. And the police officers, they decided to take his life anyway. And since that time, I've been out here. I've been advocating for justice, not only justice for my son, but justice for everyone's son, for the unborn, for my grands, for just all, you know, I'm just so sympathetic in the black and brown communities because this is where they come in, brutalize, terrorize, and they confront us for no apparent reason. And it all gets swept under the rug. And since my son's murder, I said, this is not going to happen no more, not on my watch, if there's anything that I can do about it. And so that's why I've been traveling around the nation and trying to advocate, speak, and step up where I can. Even as we speak, I'm in North Carolina trying to advocate for Andrew Brown, who was murdered, who was shot in the back of the head, who was execution style. And um, this just keeps happening. I was so elated about the George Floyd trial that the verdict came back positive on all three counts. And the same time that we were getting the verdict, our brothers were being murdered. Although we knew that there was a lot of work that we would have to do, even though we got a positive verdict for George Floyd. But we know that that was one verdict, but that verdict, it was a little bit of victory for us all. But we can't stop. And we can see that now because there's been four or five murders since the George Floyd verdict. I feel, in my, in my opinion, it's revenge because of the verdict. And we just cannot have officers going around taking our lives at will. This does not happen in the white communities. In the white communities, you never hear of black police officers shooting down <coughs> white children or white people. So why do they do that to us? And that's why we have to get bills passed, which I have gotten several bills passed in the past, the Eric Garner anti-chokehold bill. I've got the 50A law passed and the Safe in New York Act passed. But there's no good in passing laws if they're not enforced. And with the 50A they tried to overturn it. That's why you can't rest. Just because there's a bill passed, that don't mean that it's going to be written in stone. That the, the, the police, they will try to overturn it. So you got to be very watchful. And we can't all watch by ourselves. We need the whole, all the communities to watch. We need all the communities to come together. Thank you. That was the voice of Gwen Carr, mother of Eric Garner, before her Falonis Floyd, brother of George Floyd, and Colette Flanagan, founder of Mothers Against Police Brutality. The segment started with attorney Carrie McLean, and they all spoke at the press conference on April 27, 2021, held by the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States. More from the press conference after this break. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. 
Okay, so I'm going to move quickly to the next person, which is Professor Lennox Hines, the coordinator of the project, who's also going to offer some remarks about the project. Thank you, Madam Chair. Because of constraints of time, we were only able to select 44 cases of the most egregious cases for our hearings. These cases represent only the tip of the iceberg of the systemic nature of the pandemic of racist police violence against people of African descent in the United States. These cases were gathered from all around the United States, from the Northeast, from the Southeast, from the Northwest, Southwest, Central States, 20 states in all and 33 cities across the United States. And the cases spanned 20 years, as we heard. The cities were large, the cities were small. We heard testimony of the variety of methods used by the police in their killings. All of these killings were malicious and, and intentional of unarmed black men, black women, and trans and gender non-conforming black people across the United States. The victims were shot. They were tortured with tasers inflicting 50,000 volts of electricity into the bodies of people suffering from mental illness. Some of the witnesses were suffocated. Some were choked to death. Others were killed when the police used their very vehicles as weapons, of lethal weapons. In all cases, the victims were unarmed. I would be amiss if I did not thank my fellow members of the steering committee who spent the last 10 months working and preparing the report that you will be hearing today. The genesis of this International Commission of Inquiry was inspired by the petition of Paul Robeson and William Patterson, who in 1951 filed a petition at the United Nations entitled, We Charge Genocide in the Crimes of the U.S. Government Against the Negro People. The predecessor to this international commission today was a commission that was a petition that was filed in 1978 by the National Conference of Black Lawyers, the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, and the United Church of Christ. And they filed that petition on Human Rights Day in December 1978. In support of that petition, uh, they assembled the International Association of Democratic Lawyers, assembled a international delegation of jurists from Africa, Asia, Europe, Latin America, and the Caribbean to travel to the United States, visit prisons across the United States, talk to prisoners, and prepare their report. Today, the findings and recommendations of our international commission of inquiry into systemic racist police violence against people of African descent filed our report with the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights on March 30th of 2021, just a few weeks ago. Some of the key findings of facts and recommendations contained in the report will be presented to you by Representative 
commissioners and one of our rapporteurs. Thank you, Madam Chair. Lennox, thank you very much. And with that, we'll move into the findings. Max Bakwana, Commissioner Max Bakwana from South Africa, is the president of the Southern African Development Community Lawyers Association, and he'll present numbers one through six of the findings. Max? Kerry, thank you very much. And uh, maybe let me join Lennox in acknowledging and appreciating the families of many victims today represented by Colette, Gwen, and Philonese on your part, because your pain is our pain. It is our pain because your relatives' blood is our blood. They are the flesh of our flesh. Together, because of them, we are joined today in search of true humanity. And in in this small act that we are committing today, we once again commit ourselves to the quest for the true justice that has been elusive in America for the longest time since slavery. The first finding from ourselves as the commissioner is we found that the pretextual traffic stops are a precursor to police killings and the use of an excessive force against people of African descent. Six of the 44 cases we heard involve police use of deadly force during traffic stops. This is absolutely not commensurate with the risk that the police face in these encounters. In our view, this is driven by stereotypes and racial bias. This is quite clear, the afterlife of slavery. In this instance, there is the perception that black men are aggressive, whilst black women are insane. In many instances amongst the police and the law enforcement agencies, they equate blackness with criminality. We have seen in the case of Sean Bell, who was killed a day before his wedding. We have seen in a case of Tavis Crane, whose daughter dropped a candy, stopped quickly by the police, and ended up dead. We have seen the case of Mama Sisi, who was forced off the road and without any threat of violence was killed. The second finding from us is that the concept of broken window or order of maintenance triggers deadly violence against people of African descent. We have noted that this mode of policing relies very heavily on a racialized assumption about what constitutes disorder and what communities are disorderly. And in this way of saying you, the police authorities are dealing with small crimes, they end up deadly. That's the example of George Floyd, where the issue at the beginning was only the $20 bill. It's the same case as the Eric Garner case, where the issue at the beginning was just the selling of loose cigarettes. So we also found that race-based street stops or stops and frisk are another form of order maintenance policing 
that drives not only the racially biased arrest, but on, often triggers the use of deadly force by the police. The third finding is the police violation of the Fourth Amendment rights of Black people to be secure in their persons, to be secure in their housings, and for them not to be searched unreasonable or their properties unreasonable seized. These violations, including the securing of warrants that have no reasonable basis, but at the same time are disregarding the truth. On the other hand, these searches are based on reliance on discredited and sometimes unreliable informants. We find a, a proliferation of the use of risky, no-knock warrants. Police just enter houses of Black people without a valid warrant or justification. This invariable, like in other cases, lead to an excessive force and ultimately death. We have noted very terrible cases where a seven-year-old Albertina Sprail was killed, a 12-year-old Tamil Rice, and other cases like Ramali Graham, an 18-year-old, who, who all of these people were executed without any form of a crime that they have committed. We've also found out that a third of cases presented to us related to lethal application of restraints, such as compression, asphyxia, and chokehold. We found that there is excessive use of tasers, chokeholds, rough rides through police van, a terrible growing pattern of use of vehicles as a deadly weapon against people of African descent, especially targeting black men in dead bikes, all of these with fatal consequences. We also found that the lethal police violence against uh, people of African descent is exacerbated by medical apartheid and police failure to provide medical attention. This has happened in circumstances where medical attention, if it was provided at all or timeously, many lives would have been saved. This is not only dehumanizing, but it demonstrates a complete disregard of black lives. We also found on the sixth um, occasion that the little police violence against people of African descent experiencing mental health crisis is systematic. In all the cases we have heard in which a black person was experiencing mental health crisis, police responded instead of trained medical professionals. And in every case, the police used gratuitous violence that led to the victim's death. In all of these cases, the resultant death, in our view, is absolutely needless and avoidable, and a clear indication of a systematic problem, not just a congruence of isolated events. So I will hand over to you, Bert and Kerry, to finish the remainder of our findings.
Thank you very much. That was the voice of Max Bakwana, an attorney from South Africa, and Professor Lennox Hines, coordinator of the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States. This is On the Ground. Stay with us. And next is Commissioner Bert Samuels from Jamaica, partner and head of litigation with the firm Knight, Junior and Samuels. And he's the deputy chairman of the Jamaican National Council on Reparation. Thank you. I just want the listeners to know that the commissioners were often brought to tears when we saw what was happening in the United States of America. It was a painful exercise and we are here to tell the world what is happening in the United States. The commission examined police use of force against transgender black women and girls. We found that transgender women and girls are disproportionately killed. That is 250 women were killed by police between 2015 and 2020. Black women constituted 48 of those 250 women, which is 20%, although they are only 13% of the population. Black women are stereotyped as aggressive and angry, increasing police tendency to use force against them. Nicola Robinson was a pregnant Black woman, kicked in the stomach and told, you're lucky I did not kill your baby. Alberta Spirit and Breonna Taylor were women killed in their own homes with botched drug raids on their homes with no knock warrants. The commission also concluded that the systemic racist police violence kills and traumatizes black children and youth. Tamil Rice incident is a case in point of the use of lethal force on a 12-year-old boy and the traumatization of his sister, Tajil. Contrast Tamir's shooting, that 12-year-old Black American boy, with a 17-year-old white Kyle Rettenhouse who allegedly shot two protesters in 2020 and walked with his rifle past police who failed to stop or question him. Our conclusion is that the police don't see black children as children. The awful case of police killing of Tamika Wilson, who died after being shot in her chest. The police bullet also severed the index finger of her 14-month-old infant who was in her arms. Casey Goodison, shot in his home, where he was entering after purchasing takeout food for his family. The house had nine family members present when he was shot. The officer has suffered no consequence as a result of the shooting of Goodison. Jacob Blake was shot on his son's birthday and was injured in the arms, kidney, liver, and spinal cord. 
remaining paralyzed from waist down. We, the commissioners, found that racist police violence traumatizes and devastates families and communities. The commission found that when victims of police violence are killed, their families and communities remain devastated. For example, in the George Floyd case, not only was George's girlfriend and brother as witnesses in court driven to tears, but civilian witnesses from the community were visibly broken when they had to relive the trauma. Distrustful of the police, black people refuse to call them when there's an emergency. Parents warn their sons to keep off the streets and cooperate fully with the police when encountered by them. African-American men in particular are prisoners in their own communities. Many of us have refrained from watching those infamous filmed nine and a half minutes because we just cannot cope with the trauma. After Juan May was shot and no charges brought, his grandmother refused to eat and eventually died. Philonese Floyd, Joyce's brother, was moved to say, and I quote, not only did my brother have the weight of three police officers on him, he had the weight of a nation plagued with centuries of systemic racism that stole his last breath. Black immigrants are particularly vulnerable to systemic racist police violence and police killings. The commission found that a professor of human rights, Bastillo, was right when he said, and I quote, immigration policy in the US has always been an expression of white supremacy and white nationalism. Draconian immigration laws compound the harm to black immigrant victims of racist police violence. Botham Jean, a college graduate from St. Lucia in the Caribbean where I live, was killed in his own apartment when an officer entered his apartment and shot him as he sat eating ice cream. We found that there are several obstacles in the path of justice for black people. Firstly, Acquittal rates are high as police are investigated by police themselves with the inherent conflict of interest. Grand jury complicit with prosecutors bidding, refusing to indict officers who then get away with murder. Thirdly, officers are charged in only 1% of killings. Prosecutors have unlimited powers in deciding whether or not to prosecute. Prosecutors do not pursue the police as they do ordinary citizens. In fact, Tamil Rice's case, his parents were moved to conclude that the prosecutor was the police defense attorney. We now go to and looked at destruction of evidence. The commission found that there was collusion to cover up, manipulate and obstruct justice. And there was open collusion between the police officers police unions, prosecutors, coroners, and independent medical examiners. Police officers are allowed to consult with unions before giving statements and have an opportunity to manipulate the narrative in relation to executions they carry out. Officers are permitted to see the body camera images before family members can, inviting them to manipulate same. 
Medical examiners have given false causes of death in order to exonerate police officers. Notwithstanding the nine and a half minutes videos shown to the world, the medical examiner made no physical findings that George was suffering and was diagnosed with traumatic asphyxia or strangulation. This is why citizens' video footage are necessary, as was also demonstrated in the case of Manuel Ellis, where the police narrative of his killing was contradicted by a bystander's video. There's a lack of oversight of the police we found. The blue wall of silence is where fellow officers cover for each other. In Kerry Ann Horn's case, she was dismissed from the police force in 2006 because she tried to stop a fellow officer, a white police officer, from choking Neil Mack, who was handcuffed. The former Buffalo, New York police officer was finally compensated last year when her termination was overturned. We see as one of a huge problem is the use of qualified immunity. This problem prevents reparatory justice for families whose loved ones have been killed. Qualified immunity is the primary obstacle to securing civil remedies. It is a judicially created doctrine which shields government officials, mainly the police, from personal liability for a constitutional violation. The commission calls upon the Congress to abolish qualified immunity so that justice can come to those who have been wronged by state agents. This rule flies in the face of accountability and denies families compensation for their loss of loved ones, increasing the pain they endure from criminal acts by police officers. The commission calls upon the government of the United States of America to look at our recommendations and to take immediate steps to correct the unabated epidemic of police killings of black women and men by conducting an overall of the system of justice as it relates to the use of force by those employed to protect and serve. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was excellent. And so next I'm going to call on our rapporteur that's present, Professor Marjorie Cohn, who's going to share a one of the commissioner's recommendations and findings. The commissioners find that systemic racist police violence against people of African descent in the United States has resulted in a pattern of gross and reliably attested violations of human rights and fundamental freedoms. The commissioners find violations of the right to life, the right to liberty and security, the right to mental health, the right to be free from arbitrary detention, and the right to be free from torture and other cruel, inhuman, and degrading treatment including by the use of tasers, chokeholds, and compression asphyxia. The U.S. torture statute only punishes torture committed abroad. The commissioners find violations of the right to be free from discrimination based on race, gender, disability, or status as a child. The stop and frisk doctrine is an invitation for illegal racial profiling, and the Supreme Court allows pretextual stops for traffic violations, 
even when the officer is motivated by racism in violation of international law. The commissioners find violations of the right to a fair trial and the presumption of innocence, which constitute extrajudicial killings, as well as the right to be treated with humanity and respect. The commissioners find violations of the United States duty to provide medical care to detained persons, to ensure investigations of extrajudicial killings that are independent, competent, thorough, and effective, and to prosecute suspects and punish perpetrators to ensure that they are held accountable. Police officers in the United States enjoy impunity for their racist violence. They are rarely held accountable for killing black people and qualified immunity protects them against liability for violation of constitutional rights. The commissioners find that both US laws and police practices as documented in the 44 cases heard by the commissioners and national data do not comply with the international standards on the use of force. Police may only use force when strictly necessary, and it must be proportional to the seriousness of the harm it is meant to prevent. They may not use firearms except in self-defense or defense of others and only against imminent threat of death or serious bodily harm. Lethal force cannot be used to protect law and order or to safeguard property. Yet police in the United States do this routinely. The force used must be lawful, strictly necessary, proportionate to both the threat and the legitimate objective and directed towards respecting and preserving human life. But Supreme Court jurisprudence allows police officers to use deadly force if they have probable cause to believe the suspect committed a past crime. No state laws require that lethal force can only be used as a last resort when necessary to prevent imminent death or serious injury. The commissioners find that the systemic racism and police violence against people of African descent in the United States constitute crimes against humanity. These crimes under the Rome Statute for the International Criminal Court include the crime against humanity of murder, the crime against humanity of severe deprivation of physical liberty, the crime against humanity of persecution of people of African descent, and the crime against humanity of inhumane acts causing great suffering or serious injury to body or mental or physical health. All of these crimes against humanity occurred in the context of a widespread or systematic attack directed against the civilian population of black people in the United States as demonstrated by the findings of fact in this report. Thank you. Thank you very much, Marjorie. We're going to move into the recommendations now and I'd actually like you to begin Marjorie by giving the ICC recommendations. Yes, the commissioners call on the Office of the Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court upon receipt of this report of the Commission of Inquiry to initiate an investigation into crimes against humanity 
committed and condoned by officials in the United States. The prosecutor may initiate investigations on the basis of information on crimes within the jurisdiction of the court. He or she may seek additional information from states, organs of the United Nations, intergovernmental or non-governmental organizations, or other reliable sources. If the prosecutor concludes that there is a reasonable basis to proceed with an investigation of crimes against humanity, he or she shall submit to the pretrial chamber of the International Criminal Court a request for authorization of an investigation. The United States has not ratified the Rome Statute for the International Criminal Court. The commissioners call on the executive branch of the United States to sign and ratify the Rome Statute. In the meantime, the U.S. can submit to the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court for purposes of an investigation into these crimes against humanity against people of African descent in the United States. Thank you. And Professor Marjorie Cohn will have the last word on today's show. Cohn served as rapporteur for the International Commission of Inquiry on Systemic Racist Police Violence Against People of African Descent in the United States. Speaking before her was Bert Samuels, an attorney from Jamaica who spoke at the start of the segment. We will post more from that press conference and link to the commission's entire report on our website, this is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Thank you to Lydia Curtis for her contribution to this show. If you ever miss any of our shows, you can always listen to them on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org, and you can reach out to us there and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show at On the Ground Show on Facebook, Twitter, or on patreon.com at On the Ground Show. Our new podcast, On the Ground with Esther Averam, is on all your podcast platforms. Our new podcast, social media pages, and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. The music we played this hour included Enoch's Meditation by Robert Glasper, What Rough Beast by Burnt Sugar, Rain Dance by Nana Vesconcellos and the Bush Dancers, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Happy 7th anniversary to On the Ground. May 1st, May Day is our birthday. We'll be posting something special, maybe on Facebook or something. So check it out. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace. This is Esther Averam, producer and host of On the Ground, thanking you for listening and for being a part of our audience And I'm asking you to please partner with us in keeping alive this independent grassroots news program from Washington, D.C. Your fully tax-deductible donation of as little as $3 a month will help us keep lifting up voices of activism and resistance to corporate power and corporate media. So please go to our page at patreon.com forward slash on the ground show. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash on the ground show where we post the shows and bonus material, or you can see all the ways to support, including end-of-the-year giving and PayPal on our website, which you know is onthegroundshow.org. Thank you.